This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Dave and I are excited today because we're leaving in a couple days for a fly fishing trip to Montana. Woohoo! Woo-hoo. We're going to fish some. Fi- yeah, we're going to fish some favorite haunts and try some new places. We weren't sure how the pandemic was going to affect our plans, but it's worked out. So let me ask you, Dave, how is the packing coming along? Packing is coming along very well. We, you just reminded me that we need to bring our radios along. Uh, what do you call those? Our uh, those two-way radios. Oh yeah, our two-way yeah. radios. Yeah, especially when we're hiking back into Yellowstone. But I think it's going well. I actually pulled out my stuff about two weeks ago. It's been sitting in the family room, and my wife has been uh, uh, gently reminding me that it didn't need to sit there for as long as it did. But now it's too late because we're going in several days. So Exactly. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so I think so. I purchased some streamers. I purchased in advance. I purchased uh, a, a, a fish pond fanny pack that I think will be better than my vest when we hike back to farther uh, farther places, and I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready. We'll see. So where are you at? You're Shoot, you've been, you've been organized since probably spring. Well, yeah, here's the thing, though. I mean, we just moved down the street 10 blocks, as you know, and I, I know where most of my stuff is, but uh, man, I it, it's been tough. This week, I mean, trying to get out of Dodge, you know what it's like. It's like I have to, you know, you have to do two weeks worth of work. I have to prepare for when I'm gone next week and certain things. And and then it just seems like the week before you go, there's uh, there's just all these little extras that kind of show up. So I I felt like, man, I just haven't had the time to pack. And I, uh, you know, today and tomorrow, I'm going to spend some time with uh, my mom and family uh, about three hours south of here. So, you know, I'll have the afternoon before we leave to get stuff ready. And that'll be fine because I've gone through my things recently. But uh, one thing that occurs to me, Dave, as we get ready for our trip, is that there are some not-so-obvious questions to ask that I think will make us better prepared. I mean, we all know to ask questions like, what rod will I take? Do I have enough flies? But what we want to do today is to raise some not-so-obvious questions that you might not think to ask. And I kind of got this idea because you mentioned a couple things that you were doing to prepare for this trip. And I thought, you know, that's that's something I ought to be thinking about. And, And I guess over the years, our experiences have caused us to ask some of the other questions that we'll raise today. And so... Uh, hey, let's get started with that. Dave, what's what's one of the questions, maybe the, the not-so-obvious questions that we ought to ask before we go on an extended fly fishing trip? That doesn't mean it's a week or two, but even if you're going for two days or three days, uh, what's a question you ought to be asking? The first for me was, does my fly line need to be replaced or cleaned? And the easiest thing is to is to clean it to get those little packaged wipes. There's different solutions to do that and clean your fly line. But it hit me as I was watching this video, and I forget, I, I may have been watching uh, 
someone working on the double haul. I think I've been saying I got to improve my double haul for some of those longer casts. And they mentioned the importance of your fly line. And I thought, man, when was the last time that I actually replaced the fly line in my nine foot six weight, the, the Sage one that I have? And I'm thinking, I, I don't think I've replaced it since I purchased that thing. I have cleaned the line, but I don't think I've replaced it. And as I looked at it, you know, there's these nicks and and as I looked at it, I thought, you know, it's a judgment call whether or not I really need to replace this. But I said, you know what, it's been it's been too long. And I intuitively I said it's time. So I picked up some Rio Gold. Uh, it's about 80 bucks uh, weight forward line. And I actually installed it myself and put new backing on. And and so I think a trip sometimes is an impetus to do things that you've been kicking down the road, you've been kicking the can down the road. And so Flyline for me was one of those. I think that's a great point. Um, I I often think about my Flyline. I think about that question when I'm out on the river, it's too late. And I'm maybe maybe I'm I'm putting it away, I'm I'm reeling it in and just kind of noticing, huh. No, there there looks like some of those little micro cracks at places and and yeah, I think that's a that's a great question. I, I'm going to be asking that, and whenever I find my reels, Dave, that's the one box <laughs> I haven't located yet. Pretty important one to find, but I know it's there. Um, you know, otherwise I may be uh, borrowing one from you, and I'd like to borrow the new one with the new fly line. By the way, what I noticed, and I really paid close attention to my reel, and I really looked over my reel. It's amazing how. When you're just grabbing and going, and sometimes you just don't slow down to really look at your equipment. I looked at my reel for that Sage One, that nine foot six I have. And man, man, I that thing is beat up. What was I doing? Was I falling? Sometimes, when you're uh, like some of the creeks that we fish, or even the Yellowstone, we do a lot of hiking. Sometimes you stumble, but man, there are a couple dings on that thing. And I'm thinking, man, I have not treated this thing well, and I I tend to treat it well the real well when I'm putting it away and 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 storing it but sometimes I think I'm a little it becomes just like a like a stick almost I looked at my reel and thought where have I been with this reel holy cow wow you know Dave that that reminds me and I, I'm going to build this into this next question that needs to be asked uh, just because of what you said uh, so the second question I was going to raise is, what will I do if my rod breaks? And I'm going to add to that, or my reel gets dented. And, and it could break, but remember, I had a situation, uh, I think it was out in Montana last year, the year before, where I I fell, and that's hard to believe, we slipped, I slipped on something in a rock, and, and uh, remember, I dented my Lamson reel, and... I straightened it out enough so that I was able to use it, but it was, uh, boy, I would have given anything to have had an extra spool. And now I have an extra spool. And, you know, sometimes we don't think, well, what happens if, if your rod breaks or your reel either, I suppose it could break, uh, you know, maybe the, the mechanism, the drag mechanism breaks, or more likely you, you've dented it. What do you do then? And, of course, last summer, well, first of all, my eight and a half four weight. First of all, remember I lost it. I I fell into uh, 
Yeah, the Bear Creek uh, up above Morris, Morrison, uh, Colorado, uh, just west there of Littleton, and the river was yeah, the creek was it, really it, bloated. It was, it was higher, and I went back a couple days later with my son, and and the water had dropped a little bit, and uh, we found it while well, it broken the rod tip. Uh, actually, no, the the what was the deal? Had it broken the tip? Yeah, it broke the tip. I couldn't remember if I lost the first section. No, it was all there, but the tip was broken. So thankfully, uh, yeah, thankfully I had another rod. And that's often, you know, I don't have to worry too much because uh, I'll have an extra rod. But uh, like this time, uh, I'm not so sure we're going to be getting into any smaller dry fly fishing on, on creek so i may not bring my eight and a half foot four weight so uh, what do i do if if i break my uh, my winston nine foot six weight well in montana we know we can get a rental or more likely i'll just borrow one from a friend in in bozeman or belgrade or manhattan i've, I've got people i can ask but i, I think that's something that uh you just don't think about until it happens. But man, if you're going on a, if you're going on a four day, five day trip, especially if you were going in somewhere, maybe into the back country, uh, you've got to take a spare uh, rod or you've got to have some provisions to, uh, you know, fix it or, or whatever. So yeah, that's another, uh, that's another good question. What do I do if my rod breaks or something happens to my reel? I always tend to, want to be a minimalist in terms of my gear. Uh, I don't want to take a ton of gear with. But, yeah. You know, you do need, I think, two rods. I I didn't want to bring three rods this year. I think I'm going to take my Euro rod because we're, we're, we plan to fish this creek that, uh, man, I did, I did so amazing on a couple of years ago. And uh, you know how it is. You think that this year it'll be the same as it was two years ago. But um, so anyway, I'm thinking about okay. So if my nine foot six breaks, I have my Euro rod. I could, I can dry fly fish with the Euro rod, but I can't streamer fish with that thing. It's a ten foot three weight, and so I don't know. I'm just wrestling with it. I guess we'll have to see if we can borrow a rod. If if in fact I break the nine foot six, I don't think we're going to do that. But you're right about the extra spools. By the way, when you buy a new reel, I always resist the extra spools because i'm thinking man that's extra money it's just but you yep. just have to do that yeah yeah you really do what else dave perhaps a third question is do i have the right clothing if the weather changes this depends on you know obviously the time of year you're fishing and maybe you plan to wet wade but what if the weather suddenly changes we had a day on the Wyoming Bighorn a few years ago that in the morning it was really warm, and then it went to cool and and rainy, and, and we were wet wading, and we were on a drift boat. That may be one of the closest times I've come to, to hypothermia, and it was hmm. it was like the first week of uh, first week of August, wasn't it? And I yeah. grew up, oh, I, yeah. I grew up in North Dakota, like with minus forty degree Fahrenheit winters, and and being outside a lot, so that's saying a lot. But I. I got so chilled that day, and fortunately, the rain lifted, and we were able to continue to fish. But there was a window about an hour during that day that I that I that I, it was really at risk. It was just stupid. We had not brought our waders along, so we were wet wading. There were a lot of issues there. But 
It's especially important, of course, in the fall. I have these lightweight hooded long sleeve shirts, a uh, couple by Sims that I wear when it's warm, and I love them. And I have some long sleeve camouflage shirts that are heavier. Uh, I have a heavy wool shirt for a second layer. I recently purchased a new Sims uh, outerwear shell that sheds rain. So wait, 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 wait. Now you're always accusing me of being the Sims model, and I've heard you twice in the last two minutes <laughs> talk about you got Sims shirts, you've got Sims outerwear. <laughs> so let, let's not be the pot calling the the kettle. <laughs> Dirty, yeah, dirty, yeah, exactly. Well, I'm telling you, uh, these were all on sale. I'm telling you, uh, they were all on sale. So that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love I love sim stuff as as we all know. Yeah, that's great. So I think clothing is just an important thing. We all know this, but when you're prepping for a trip, it's important to slow down and think through the different scenarios. For us, we have fished in the fall, in this location, around the same time. So we do have an idea of what the extremes are. If you're going on a trip and you have not fished there, and so you don't really understand what the extreme weather uh, is like, that's that's uh, it's important to know that and to make sure you're prepared in terms of your clothing. I've got some uh, nylon pants that I, I really like. Yeah, they're just the Columbia uh, not Sim, sorry, but uh, and I think you've got what do you have, Dave? You've got some light. I, yeah, uh, I do. They're Eddie Bauer. Yeah, they're a combination. Of, I think of polyester and I think I think even spandex. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey, <laughs> two guys in a river wearing spandex on the stream. Man, that's a lovely picture, isn't it? Oh, that's beautiful. I I yes. can see that. Oh man, well, I better transition into another question. <laughs> Uh, so that thought doesn't linger in anybody's mind. But uh, here's another not-so-obvious question that w- that I think we ought to ask, and that is, does my plan uh, for fly fishing take into account my physical limits? And just talking here about the importance of being realistic. I mean, if you're not working out before the trip, then extensive hiking and fishing hard for days on end will make the end of your trip miserable. And even if you have been working out, man, I've been doing a lot of walking and, and that's great. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's a little bit different when you're fishing, you know, day in and day out. And one of the issues too, and you're fishing in the West, if you're in Colorado, Montana is not as high in altitude, uh, but in Colorado, uh, good night, you go to, let, let's just say you're going into Rocky Mountain National Park and you're you pull into Estes Park, you're already at 8,200 feet, I think. And then you drive into Rocky Mountain National Park, and you're going to fish some of those lakes up in the Bear Lake drainage area. I mean, Bear Lake is 10,000 feet. You can drive wow. right there, although these days it seems like you have to take a shuttle. But 10,000 feet. And, you know, I've, I've read and heard that you you know, that your acclimation to high altitude builds up over the years. And and I've kind of sensed that. It doesn't phase me a lot. But I know the first few hours when I get to, uh, you know, eight 9,000 feet that I, I notice it. Like if I bend over to tie a shoe or, or it's like, wow, this is a little bit different. But if you haven't been, you know, in high altitude much at all, well, you have to take that into account 
uh, back-to-back days of hard hikes might not be wise. I mean, we have a place we love to go in Yellowstone National Park that's uh, usually about a, it's what, like a six to eight mile round trip. And that, that doesn't include all of the other fishing we do. So we get out of there. We may have, we've hiked hard, you know, eight to 10 miles. Well, that's, that's fine. We enjoy it. But boy, it's, it's nice on that second day to have something a little bit less hectic, you know, either a float or somewhere where you're fishing, where you're just not going to cover as much ground. So, yeah, we're not we're not talking just about hey, if you're out of shape, we're saying even if you're in shape, uh, think about what you're doing. You you want uh, two or three back to back days of eight to ten miles. I mean, maybe you do. That's fine. And by the way, for us, it's not even so much the miles, but we have some climbs in those uh, uh, eight to ten miles. A couple climbs that uh, uh, it's more than just walking along, you know. A, river for eight miles or some climbing involved so yeah you always want to think about how can you plan this trip so maybe you can uh, go hard one day and in the second day you'll, you'll fish as hard but maybe you don't have to hike as far to get in or maybe you're in a drift boat or whatever we have done the two hard days back to back uh often and and part of it is the fishing's so good we just have to go back and we think hey we're only out here yeah. for a week we got to go do this i think when we were younger i would still be tired but i wasn't as aware of it meaning <laughs> uh like it, it was somehow it was okay i was still exhausted but somehow i pushed through i think as i've gotten older I realize I really want to enjoy the day. I can still yeah. do this. I don't have the I don't have a problem like I can't do it. It's that right. you know all of a sudden the day is just not as enjoyable, or at least mm-hmm. the, maybe the first couple hours as you're loosening up. And uh, but I feel this way when I go back and hunt in the fall with my with my dad and my brother and all of his uh, with all of my dad's cronies. If we hunt two or three really hard days, or we're doing a lot of pheasant. You know, pheasant hunting, we're walking a lot, and it's intense days. That third day, I'm like, you know, maybe I'll, I'll not get up early. I'll go at 10 o'clock, and we'll do something that's, that allows for us just to enjoy the day a little bit more. So we're talking about not-so-obvious questions to ask to prepare for a fly fishing trip. Dave, anything else you think of? So here's another one that I think is really important, and, and that is what new water will I try Or where will I fish if my go-to spots are too crowded or unproductive? Here's a follow-up thread to a Trout Unlimited post, which we discussed in our last episode on fly fishing etiquette. It was from a guy who had had run into other fly fishers who lacked etiquette. So this guy that we're going to read is, is responding to the initial thread in the Trout Unlimited forum. And this is what he said. Yellowstone... No one goes there anymore. It's too crowded. Hats off to Yogi Berra. I echo the sentiments of the other posters. We've had both good and bad experiences in Yellowstone National Park with regards to other anglers. The more often we go, the more places we have found that have very thin crowds. We also tend to go in the fall after Labor Day. That time of year, everyone is going to fish to Lamar Valley. So in our last three trips, we've not gone out there to fish. We've also used the 30-minute rule. If it takes 30 minutes to walk, hike, 
to the spot, the probability of seeing other anglers approaches zero. We have occasionally seen pe people after the short hike, but not usually. When we do, they are almost always friendly, helpful, and are willing to negotiate fishing spots. The other way we avoid crowds is to fish in the evening. Sure, there is limited time, but there are seldom many anglers on the water after late afternoon. We have had some of our best sessions at 6 or 7 in the evening, uh, a short walk from our car. Hmm, that's interesting, yes, isn't it? Yes, it totally is. And, it, and I think uh, I love just the creative approach it's fish later that last thing that he said that is so interesting that's true for even you and me often we'll come off if we're hiking you know if we're deep into yellowstone national park because we have to get back before dark sometimes we're done fishing by two or three o'clock and we do miss that near evening uh session that that window of time because we're headed back and i think a lot of anglers uh miss that so his his i his approach is just being more creative and and avoiding the Lamar Valley. Oh, my gosh. That, that's that's a place yeah. where everybody fishes. You know that as well as I yeah. do. Yeah, and there, there's just a lot of options, aren't there? Maybe that's the key. <laughs> it is the key. I do think that if you're planning a fly fishing trip, uh, and even if it's only a day trip, if there's only one spot that you can envision yourself fishing, you're, you will struggle because... In today's world, with all the the extra fly fishers that are out on the river now, you may be frustrated. So the importance of, of really putting options into your planning and, and thinking through, okay, if this place is crowded, I'm, I have these two other options I'm going to hit. Or if it's unproductive in the morning, I'm going to move to this river. So yeah. I just think, what new water will I try or where will I fish if my go-to spots are too crowded, is really an important question. And one of those options could be hiking farther. That That's always a great way to go, unless you're on the kind of river where, let's say it just follows a road for 10 miles. Well, well, good luck. You can go down to the next fishing access and go either direction. You're going to run into fly fishers, but if there's an option of, hey, I'm, I'm in this drainage, and the further up I go, I'm, I'm not going to run into anybody, then, then there you go. Hey, I think we have time for a couple more uh, quick questions here. Another one I would ask is, what should I leave at home? And we, we often think about what we need to take, but man, in the interest of space and the price of, a, of an extra checked bag if you fly, what can you do without? And, and I can be the worst at this. I can... Uh, uh, man, I, I like to be prepared, and so I've, I've got all these things for every contingency. But really, do I need these extra fly boxes? Do I need these extra shirts? Do I need, a ne do I need an extra pair of waders? Well, well, maybe. But even this trip, we're, we're going to, uh, a lot of what we do, we'll, we'll wet wade. That There may be one day where we need our waders. So I'm going to approach that differently than if, if we're going to be using waders every day. Well, then I'm going to make sure I have an extra pair. This trip, I'm not so sure. Although you know me, I'll probably put them in. But at least I'm going to ask the question. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, what should I leave at home? Uh, important question. I think the last question is a corollary to that. And that is, is there a way to simplify all your flies and your fly boxes for this specific trip. And, and and it's definitely a corollary to what should I leave at home. And I think what I really have worked on 
for this trip is leaving at home many of my fly boxes that are filled with flies I would never use out there. So it's really understanding what am I, go what am I going to fish. I've really isolated my streamers. I've got this big box for streamers and I've got it packed with exactly what I know that I want to use out in Montana this year. And I have this, you know, my box of nymphs, my go-to nymphs, and then the dry flies, and then, which also includes some emergers. And, but I, I'm just much more strategic this year. I, I have not been strategic historically, yeah. but, but I'm just more organized. And I, it's because I basically took a little bit of time to do that. Uh, that's why my stuff has been sitting in the family dining room for three weeks. <laughs> Yeah, it's because you're hanging out with me and my organization oh, is wearing off on you. Steve, that's so true. That is so but, true. But the opposite thing is happening because I feel like, oh, man, I got all these boxes with flies. So uh, what is this? We've switched roles here. We're, oh, like man. An old, we're like an old married couple. Oh, boy. I guess you're becoming so. more like I am. Oh, yeah. goodness. And, and I'm becoming more like you. Oh, my. Oh, man. I don't, I don't know which one is worse. We could do a podcast on that. Well, Dave, I have to say, I, I think we're ready. I'll see you at O'Hare in a couple days, and I expect you'll be wearing hiking boots and a fishing hat and one of those Sim shirts, right? <laughs> and I know that you'll be prepared after our podcast today, but it's actually me that I'm more worried about. <laughs> Honestly, we hope that you, our listeners, have a chance to take an end of summer or fall trip, or maybe you're waiting until next spring. Whatever the case, you can prep better for your next fly fishing trip if you ask the not-so-obvious questions that we've identified today. All right, it's time for great stuff from our listeners, and here's a comment from Dan in New Jersey. He says, after listening to your Hacks podcast, I have an additional hack that you might be interested in. He says, I haven't bought a bottle of Fly Floating in probably 40 years. Wow. Oh he says, I have a homemade recipe for a Fly Floating that works better than any Floating I've ever bought. If you take two small tablespoons of abilene cleansing cream, melt it down in the microwave, and pour it into an old float bottle. I'm just thinking my wife would love if I did this. Oh, anyway, he says, you'll, you'll never go back to store-bought floatant again. Once greased, your fly will float the entire day. It's probably the best floatant I've ever used. Another great hack I found over the years is to mix Fuller's Earth Cosmetic Clay with glycerin that you obtained from CVS. That's, that's like a Walgreens pharmacy. Uh, into clay or mud-like consistency, and it's far superior to any sink product that you can purchase. Also, if you run your tippet through the mixture, it takes the entire sheen right off the mono. Once applied to your nymphs, they will sink like a rock, and it's all natural. Just two tips I thought you guys might be interested in. Man, that's really cool. <laughs> wow, that's a level of sophistication that uh, I have never gone to. That yeah, I know it. Wow. Well, that's, hey, that's something we can do this winter when we're pining to uh, fly fish. <laughs> we'll just go down to the Walgreens or CVS and uh, get the stuff and try it. But no, that's really... Uh, oh, that's impressive. That's really intriguing. So, hey, thanks, Dan. We appreciate that. Well, hey, that's all for today. Thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing.